Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. By the age of 19, Aaron Brady was already known to Gardy. A young kid with a bad attitude and a chip on his shoulder about authority. He had made a name for himself around his local area as someone to be wary of, and his behaviour was beginning to supersede his reputation. He had been wanted by the guards prior to Adrian's there for ramming guards and ramming taxis. And, you know, I think it was on on the TV there was footage of what he was doing, like, you know. On October 2nd, 2011, at 2am, Gardy spotted Aaron Brady and two other men driving a blue VW Golf that had been registered stolen from a creeper burglary a month before. The car was taken from Coot Hill and Cavan, but was fitted with a fake number plate that had come from another burglary in England. Most would think that someone driving a stolen car would want to keep a low profile, but that wasn't really Aaron Brady's style. As the town winded down and the streets began to clear, Brady began performing wheel spins with the car, engulfing the road with smoke and fumes. The guardie pulled alongside the golf, looking Brady directly in the eyes. He stared back for a moment, smiled, and gave the officers two fingers before taking off at speed towards the town centre. There, he rammed three taxis close to a rank, before colliding with a patrol van who tried to intercept him. It's just tuggery, like, you know? So he was known to us, like, yeah, absolutely. After a short chase on foot, Gardy caught up with Brady and put him in the back of their patrol van. The damages from that night exceeded €8,000 and left Aaron Brady with a criminal record and a hefty bill to pay for the various crashes. At the time of Adrian Dunahoo's shooting, Brady was out on bail for the incident. But more importantly, he knew that that money would need to be paid back. Brady needed quick cash and diesel laundering wasn't going to suffice. Was this a motive to rob the Lordship Credit Union? At this stage in their case, the Guardian and Pat were unsure. After all, they had to keep an open mind to all lines of inquiry. But Aaron Brady was on their radar and things were beginning to catch up with him. I was losing consciousness and I said to the nurse, I'm dying and I was holding her hand and she said, uh, 
she was shouting at the doctor, he's thinking he's dying, he's dying, like, you know, she said, the ambulance will be here in a second. The Making of a Detective is brought to you by the Irish Sun. I'm Ian Doyle. If you've enjoyed our series so far, please take a moment and leave us a review in your podcast app. Or even better, tell a friend about the show. In the early hours of January 26th, 2013, not long after Detective Adrian Donahue's death, Pat began to contemplate life on the job. His career brought moments of deep fulfilment that usually outshadowed the troubles, the stresses, and the constant nature of his chosen path in life. He was the first one to say he'd always dreamed of being a detective. But those dreams, they were conceived when he was just a young man. A boy out of Navin, ready to do good in the world. He didn't envision the trouble ahead. How his career would impact his health. How it would change his relationships. And how his love for the job would eventually dwindle away. By 2013, Pat had accomplished more than he could ever have wished as a detective. But the atmosphere and tension in the force began to grind down his optimism for the years ahead. I remember one detective sergeant coming down the stairs and he's saying to me, if they listened to you, Adrian wouldn't be dead now. If he had the using machine gun, he wouldn't be dead now because they wouldn't take on the guards with an using machine gun. To be clear, nobody will ever know whether Adrian's fate would have been different that night if he was armed with a submachine gun. But it does help build a picture of Pat's growing irritations with all aspects of his work. And I knew what he meant, and I, I said it before that in I think it was October 2012, and like a lot of my detectives had come to me and said, "Look, they felt a little bit vulnerable out on the border with no Uzi machine gun." So I did out a report, a very comprehensive report on the obligations of the state to protect the members of the Garda Síochána and what under health and safety and other aspects what was required to look after their own staff and I sent that up and it came back down the week before Adrian's murder with a big no on it and the criminal element will always say and I've always said over the years they respected the guard with the Uzi and they wouldn't take them on and I asked at the time like why why was it taken away in the first place and the answers that were coming back was that it was a cost-cutting exercise that people who had to use a machine gun or any firearm have to train twice or three times a year and it costs like money and subsistence allowance or maybe overtime for a bit to train people. So it was a cost-cutting exercise, which was betetting. As Pat set out to try and solve the murder of his colleague, his frustrations and anger were almost palpable. His relationship with those in the force above him had taken knocks over the years. And little did he know, this case would signal the beginning of the end of Pat Murray's time in Angarda Síochána. The vastness of the case was difficult to comprehend. It was certainly the biggest murder investigation the state had ever seen. And I'll tell you, and I'll give you a, a rough estimate of things. The normal murder, run-of-the-mill murder, will generate around 250 lines of inquiry, roughly. Adrian Donahue's, when I was leaving it, had generated 6,000 lines of inquiry. 
He had over 3,000 statements taken. It was just vast. With the information at hand, Pat knew that there was at least five key people involved with the Lordship Credit Union raid. The driver of the Volkswagen Passat and the four men that scaled the wall to the rear of the car park. He focused in on the getaway vehicle, knowing and might tell them more. When we were seizing CCTV, we hadn't got the capacity to hold all this stuff. So we had to get Dell to build an external hard drive, specially for the investigation. <clears throat> and they put it in the communications room in Dundalk. You know, I had people, uh, eight and nine people at a time, every day looking at CCTV frame by frame, looking for things. It was calculated that if one guard was to sit down and view all the CCTV gathered, it would take him 40 years. So that's how fast the amount of material we had in CCTV alone. You know, the car left Lordship Credit Union and ended up in this place in South Armagh. Cumsons Road was the area that it was traced to. A wildlife ranger named Donald Whiteside came across a burnt out vehicle in a laneway off a quiet road near farmland. Still hot to touch, the fumes of molten rubber and scorched petrol filled the once fresh country air. The discovery had happened on Saturday, the day after Adrian was shot. This wasn't the first burnt out car that Mr. Whiteside had come across. Dumping of all nature was commonplace along the border, so he waited until Monday to report it to the police. At the scene, forensics were swabbed, but nothing of evidential value was accounted for. The guardian knew that the dark Passat from the Lordship raid was most likely a stolen vehicle. Any criminal worth their salt knew not to use one that could be traceable. A discovery was made at the side of the smouldering car. The vehicle's chassis number was still intact, protected from the blaze. With that, the Guardi were able to record its serial number. After they ran a trace on the vehicle, they were able to identify it as a Volkswagen Passat, which had been stolen outside Clotterhead just two days before the Lordship shooting. It was a, a car that we believed was involved in the murder uh, on the very basis that, number one, it fitted the description and the model that looked like the car that left the scene. And it was also a car we could establish was stolen in a creeper burglary, which is something that uh, Aaron Brady had been involved in. The thieves had expertly removed the barrel of the lock from the front door of the house. Once inside, they grabbed the car keys and made a silent getaway. Stephen Breen is crime editor for the Irish Sun. Aaron Brady emerges very quickly as a suspect because the Gardaí would have known about his modus operandi in terms of the other robberies that had taken place uh, within the border region in the two years prior to um, Adrian Donoghue being shot dead. So he was also living close to the area as well. We knew and we could prove too uh, he was involved in creeper burglaries and, uh, uh, you know, stealing cars and selling them. You uh, Breaking into your house, taking your keys in your car from your driveway and selling it on. And that's what he was involved in. The Guardi had other reasons as to why they believed Aaron Brady was involved. In 2011, the credit union was subject to another raid. This one more lucrative with the thieves netting over €22,000 in cash before making their getaway. 
and the modus operandi of that robbery fitted very like the robbery where Adrian was killed. And we had a suspect at that time and he was arrested and brought in for questioning. After Brady was stopped roadside on the morning after the shooting, the first person he rang was the man suspected of carrying out the previous credit union raid. So here we have a person who was a suspect for the first armed robbery in contact with Aaron Brady the next day. And in actual fact, as we continued on the investigation, that person who was suspect for the first armed robbery had spent the day with Aaron Brady and another person on the day of the robbery. So, you know, things were just not all sitting right for someone to say they were innocent, like, you know. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Brady's best friend, known in the media as Suspect A, was with him the morning after the shooting. Both men gave alibis to Gardy, stating that they'd met at 3am, five hours after the shooting took place although officers were able to poke holes in the timings of their stories. Four nights before, Suspect A's brother, who lived nearby the credit union, rang the guardie from his home. He stated there were suspicious-looking men dressed in black hanging around the outskirts of his property, potentially eyeing up a break-in attempt. Garda Robert Pilo was among the first respondents, he walked over and chatted away to the brother of Suspect A. The two men made small talk briefly as he gave a vague description of what he felt he saw. Pilo took 15 minutes to investigate the scene and conclusively found no sign of a break-in attempt or intruders on the property. 
He noted that there was a heavy dew in the grass, but no trail of footsteps left behind. At the time, the callout didn't come across as suspicious. Everyone has a right to be concerned about their own property. But after Adrian's shooting, the Gardaí were able to establish Suspect A's brother was most likely involved in a scoping exercise for the gang to test how long it would take for Gardaí to respond to an emergency call. When Brady was questioned roadside on the morning after Adrian's death, he stated he was in his girlfriend's house from 8pm until 3am before meeting Suspect A. But we looked at his phone records and it, at a time he said he was with his girlfriend, he re- actually ringing her, ringing her phone number. So he couldn't have been with her, like, you know. So things like that started to creep into our, uh, look, we need to look at this a little bit closer. In September 2012, the couple met. Brady was in love with her. So much so that he tattooed the date of their first encounter on his back. He had offered her help in purchasing a car, potentially mounting more financial constraints around the time of the shooting. She was aware he was involved in fuel laundering, but was clear that their relationship would be over if he was involved in more serious crime. Within an hour of Brady being stopped and questioned roadside, the guardie began to try and corroborate his claims. On a visit to her family home, she told the guardie that he'd been by her side from 8pm onwards. The thing was though, the pair hadn't. Brady didn't arrive back until 11pm after the robbery took place. He had told his girlfriend that he was out working, which she believed to be laundering fuel on Concession Road. When he came to his girlfriend's house, the news was on actually and it came up about the murder. And the woman in the house, who was the mother of his girlfriend, called Aaron Brady down from stairs and said, we had you anything to do with that? And he said no, but he still sat down and watched and listened to the article. It is believed that Aaron Brady's girlfriend honestly thought that he was laundering fuel that night and told the guardie he was with her to avoid him getting in trouble for violating his bail conditions. She wasn't aware by that stage that her boyfriend was involved in the incident. A lot of material started appearing in the in the media about Adrian and a lot of stuff that had been discussed and we were very annoyed about it. At a time when tensions were rife between Pat and some of his superiors, the possible leaking of confidential information infuriated him. You know, you just bite your tongue, you just, you know. The border region around Louth is small and whispers travel fast. Brady had built up a reputation for his previous criminal activity and it wasn't long before rumours started circulating. We were looking to speak with Brady and uh, he knew we were looking to speak with him and I think it was his girlfriend's family said, look, if you had nothing got to do with this, go in and talk to the guards about it. And he says, I will. So Brady um, presented himself to Dundalk Garda Station and that was on the basis that in his native South Armagh, a lot of rumours were going around that he was behind this incident, that he, you know, was the, the the killer of Adrian Donoghue so as a way of preempting perhaps the Gardaí seeking assistance from the PSNI and you know going to talk to him or, or bringing him in for questioning to Dundalk Garda Station to I suppose just to say that you know he had nothing to hide and that he wasn't responsible for this and just to get his message out there and to get his view out there that trying to cover his tracks that he wasn't involved in any shape or form in the murder 
but he brought his solicitor with him. And uh, over a two-day period, the two detectives from NBCI sat down and took a statement from him about his movements and everything in respect of that evening. Accompanied by a solicitor, Brady began to tell the Gardaí about his movements on the night of the robbery. Gardaí were told he was involved in diesel laundering on the night of Adrian Donahue's murder, and they were asked whether he could speak on this without incriminating himself. The Gardaí agreed for an off-record statement, assuring him that they were only interested in activity relating to Adrian Donahue's murder. But he changed that to say he was there actually doing the diesel laundering at the time of the murder and he wasn't but it, it was um, a paltry attempt of him to come up with an alibi now because there was no one saw him there doing it Aaron Brady told the detectives that he went to the yard shortly after 8pm to load cubes of diesel but the forklift that he used to move the fuel wouldn't start. He said he left the yard at 8.20pm and went over to a friend's house on Lock Road, before then going over to his girlfriend's house, where he stayed until 3am. He maintains that he was in a different part of uh, the county loyalty. He was actually involved in an oil laundering, a fuel laundering operation at, at the time, so it couldn't have been him. He couldn't have been responsible. So that's what he tried to use, that he was in a different location, so therefore he wasn't involved in the murder. So Aaron Brady's alibi was gone. I believed he was never in that yard. And if he was, it was only for that half an hour where the thing broke down and he went off for himself. But I was quite convinced and, and happily to say that he was in Lordship Credit Union shooting a guard. Brady walked away from Dundalk Garda Station that evening, feeling like the walls were closing in around him. His performance in front of the Gardaí hadn't gone to plan, and he knew they were onto him. On April 8th, 2013, Aaron Brady sat at home, when a knock came at the door. The PS and I were there, to carry out a full search of his premises on behalf of the Gardaí. His heart was in his mouth as he let the members in. There was no pleasantries between himself and the officers. Even in the midst of a murder investigation, his disdain for authority was undeniable. After spending roughly 30 minutes on the property, the team took certain items of interest and asked Brady some further questions. His story stayed the same. But, as they left, he knew something had to change. He couldn't just wait around for the DPP to come knocking. Five days later, Aaron Brady sat in the Langan Bar in Belfast Airport, looking into the distance as he sipped away in a beer. He knew that this would be the last time he'd be sitting on home soil. His US visa would only be valid for 90 days, but he had no intentions on ever coming back to Ireland. This was the beginning of a new chapter. As luck had it, the British travel documents he applied for arrived days before, With 20 minutes till boarding, he ordered another beer. It was a long flight to New Jersey. 
Pat was furious when he learned of Brady's departure. The scope of an already complicated investigation had suddenly become much bigger. He'd been here before in his career, would Colin Whelan's son get away to Majorca? But even that was aided by the fact that Colin was in the EU. Pat had no history of working with the US police force. And besides, there was over 300 million people living in America. Brady could be anywhere. Well, I wasn't a major fan of senior guard management, and I just wasn't. Tensions were fraught, and for the first time in his career, Pat felt like he was struggling to get on with the job. What turned things sour for me was very simple. I became unwell. I was in charge of the investigation. I had believed I had put together the bones and the structure of the investigation to move it forward. I got a clot in my leg uh, as a result of the stress and the strain I was under. And you have to understand that I had two or three other murder investigations on the go at the same time. I had Irene White, I had um, the double murder of, of Joseph Redmond and Anthony Burnett, and I had the sexual abuse uh, allegations by Michael Shine, and I was running that investigation. So I was under a lot, a lot of pressure. Pat had never experienced pressure like this in his career. I was working on Adrian's from six o'clock in the morning, sometimes four o'clock in the morning, until maybe 10 o'clock each night. I was actually booked into a bed and breakfast in Dundalk, so I wouldn't be delaying time driving from home to give as much time and effort to Adrian's murder and I remember and my staff would the staff they would back it up like I'd have them in at 6am and I'd have been in at 4 or, and I would be uh, have arranged uh, search warrants to have been got and teams and an operational order done to search premises looking for potential evidence and stuff like that and I was working long long hard hours and I was exhausted I got a clot in my leg and uh, my right leg swole up. Uh, I knew it was a clot because I had one in 2003. Pat visited his doctor and was sent to a specialist in Dublin. I was seen relatively quickly and they scanned it and said, yes, you have a clot. And it's very near the main artery. And they kept me in for a couple of days. And they, they said, uh, look, there's veins there that need to be taken out. I said, well, grand, book me in and I'll come in and get them out. So I did that. And in August um, uh, 2013, I went in, I think it was the 5th or the 8th of August, I went in to get this operation done. I had veins taken out of my leg. Uh, it was a day procedure. Uh, I went home, uh, you know, was doing what I was supposed to do and wearing my TED sock. While Pat was away, they put someone else in his place to lead the investigation. Around three weeks had gone by, but his wound was beginning to heal, and Pat felt like it was only a matter of weeks before he'd be back in charge of the case. I was down in Nace then, the end of August, and I had an awful pain in my chest. I wasn't feeling at all well. Uh, my wife, Neve, now, she was my partner at the time, said, Jeez, you don't look well, you look very, very pale. And I said, I don't feel well, I've an awful pain in my chest. I said, up here, a ferocious pain in my chest. Neve insisted that they go to their local clinic immediately. As they drove over, Pat's condition began to deteriorate. They rushed through the doors of the clinic, 
and headed straight for the help desk. I say she could see the white face of me. She says, I'll get a doctor for you now. She's just starting. And I was called into a room and I explained to the doctor enough of pain in my chest. They put the ECG on me and I was looking at the screen and instead of, you know, squiggly lines going up and down, there was just one big loop, like a loop. And I said to her, that doesn't look good, does it? And she just got it and twisted away and she came over and gave me injections. And uh, I was there and uh, I felt myself going. I said, uh, I said to the nurse, I'm, I'm dying. And I was going back, I was losing consciousness. And I said to the nurse, I'm dying. And I was holding her hand. And she said, uh, she was shouting at the doctor, he's thinking he's dying, he's dying. Like, you know, she said, the ambulance will be here in a second. And I remember, and to talk about this white light, it was certainly there. And I was gone. And I woken up on the back of an ambulance going to Nace General Hospital. And I had died, and they got me going again. And uh, I remember they asked me my name and address and my date of birth and stuff like that. And I think it's just to see that there was no damage done to my brain. Like, But anyway, I said, uh, God, we're going to Nace General Hospital. I'm going to be stuck on a bloody trolley now for a couple of hours. And he says, I remember him saying, there's no trolley where you're going, buddy, he said, you know. Pat was rushed into a coronary care unit as teams of doctors attached medical equipment to his arms and chest. The doctors tried to calm him down, but he was fearful that this was it. He drifted in and out of awareness as to what was going on around him. Fortunately, as the hours trickled on, and the pandemonium in the unit decreased. Pat made it through the night. And the next morning uh, I was brought to an uh, award and they told me, uh, you have uh, bilateral multi-embolisms and one of the clots that's in your lungs is an inch long and we're, we're, we're mesmerised how, how it got through your heart without killing you. Like, you know, it, I did die, but they got me going again and I'll be pushed it on. So I spent, I think it was four to six weeks in NACE General Hospital where they're trying to dissolve all the clots in my chest and get rid of the one in my lung that was an inch. After over a month in hospital, Pat was released and thankfully on the road to recovery. But he was under strict instructions to spend the next four months at home and off work to finish his rehab. The doctors were well aware how stress-inducing his job was. And next time, he might not be as lucky. They gave me the all clear and sent me on my merry way. Now I was off work for four months, but they put uh, the, let's say, the powers that be obviously didn't think I was making progress on the investigation and to put someone in on my place. The months went by, and for once in his life, Pat focused on his health ahead of his work. He actually enjoyed the time off. Life was moving at a slower pace. Even if it was only temporary. 
In the beginning of 2014, just before the one-year mark of Adrian's murder, Brady was still at large. Pat returned to Fort Apache, ready to get moving on the case. On the first day back, he sat down with his superiors. Another guy is working, has taken your position there, working away there. You might work along with him and give him a hand. For most in their careers, this might seem like a reasonable enough request from a manager or someone higher up. But that wasn't the case for Pat. You know, what an insult. Like I was a qualified senior investigating officer. I had, I had a, a track record and I was in charge of the investigation and had it to a certain level. One of Pat Murray's most prominent characteristics is his self-assurance. He knew his own capabilities, and to be fair, he'd proven them on countless occasions during his tenure. At times, though, those he clashed with perceived it as ego. And this was a running theme throughout the latter stages of his career. And I had made out, uh, before I got sick, I had made out a document with 44 points in it that I could identify in the investigation which needed to be addressed. It's clear that Pat felt slighted from the request. In actual fact, it was something he'd never recovered from. In his view, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. He felt betrayed. He felt angry. And he felt that he owed the guardy nothing. I was pretty pissed off with that now, you know. I, I sort of said to them, I won't be helping anyone, I said. I'm taking myself off this investigation. You have someone else in now in my place. Let them do their business. I'm not doing nothing to do with this investigation. And I went on to do the double murder, which I solved and charged a guy with the two murders, uh, which couldn't have been solved. And I went on to solve Irene White's. Next time on The Making of a Detective. I was his undercover most of the time of our careers. He informed me that Mr. Brady, you know, he allegedly killed an officer in your country. Listen, we're still trying to find out where he is located at. The Making of a Detective is brought to you by The Irish Sun. This series was written and produced by me, Ian Doyle. If you've enjoyed the podcast so far, please take a moment and leave us a review in your podcast app. Or even better, tell a friend about the show. If you want to learn more about the life and career of Pat Murray, Buy his book, The Making of a Detective, by Penguin Books. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.